Kaysan, and hello. Welcome to Nordic Insights, where I introduce you to high-achieving Nordics and Nordic-inspired people with niche expertise in business, lifestyle, education, innovation, tech, travel, and more. I'm your host, Satu Raunola, a Finn passionate about all things Nordic, as well as yoga, running, sustainability, well-being, and great coffee. Listen in for some tips on Nordic approaches to a happier and more holistic business and personal life. Join me to explore Nordic common sense and trends in this complex world. This podcast is delivered to you every Wednesday. Hey, welcome back to Nordic Insights. This is episode 12. Firstly, thank you so much for your support. I am super excited that today I have over 2,100 downloads. It is a fantastic result so soon. Today's guest is an intriguing Melbourne-based Norwegian maker of things, Hans-Jürgen Jahr. He was so inspired by multi-Grammy Award musician Ben Harbour that he decided to start designing guitars. He didn't know then that Ben Harbour would be his first customer. This very talented and soft-spoken Nordic designer, carpenter and photographer draws his inspirations from Bauhaus and Nordic designers. Hans talks about his time in the Norwegian army as a pacifist and about his love for outdoors and extreme sports including ski jumping, snow and skateboarding. Hans is a very dedicated father and stepfather. We discuss what it is like to be a Nordic father and how it differs from Australian based on his experience. Now let's go back to the show and meet Hans-Jürgen. So Hans-Jürgen, great to have you as my guest. Now you are based in Melbourne and on your website you call yourself maker of things, taker of photos and a Norwegian in Melbourne. So how did you become a maker of things? So well, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I have pretty much most of my adult life, I've been designing and making things. So that's been sort of a natural part of my life for a very long time. Yeah, both uh, both graphic things as a, as a graphic designer and also objects, things, various things, including guitars and uh, woodworking and yeah, lots of different things. Okay. And uh, do you think your design, you are a Nordic designer? Yes. I think somehow that is reflected in a lot of my designs and things that I make that I have that heritage. I guess it's quite minimal in general and also functional. Uh, So I guess that's a bit Bauhaus approach that form follows function, uh, which is also a bit Nordic and Scandinavian, I guess. Um, so, yes, I, I think that is apparent in most of the things that I make that I have that heritage. And where do you get your inspiration? I guess from everyday life, I like challenges. So my perfect project as a, 
as a designer and carpenter now is to be presented with a with a problem or a challenge and um, first of all work out with the client what is needed and then from that brief designing what needs to be made and then actually get in my workshop and make it and install it and yeah install the the finished products um, on site that's that's sort of my ultimate project at the moment and that gives me a lot of inspiration to be able to do that tell us more in detail so what do you make what things you make uh, furniture yes um so these days i'm mainly making furniture so i prefer making functional things i love a challenge of a small space that needs to be utilized in the best possible way and maybe having something multifunctional in there that can can do several jobs and and utilize space yeah so that could be anything from a, a seat a sofa a desk maybe a, with a bookshelf attached to it and um, pretty much anything like i said these days most of the stuff that i make is made out of wood right so you have also sustainability in in your design and yes yeah i prefer using reclaimed timber uh, for most of my for whenever that is practical uh, i also really enjoy working with plywood uh, which is also quite a sustainable material where you're sort of utilizing a lot of the timber and it's also very stable who inspires you if you have designers who you really admire and you said you your style is more like a Bauhaus style and movement but uh, do you have Nordic designers or any other designers that you find very inspirational yes I do have a lot of designers that I draw inspiration from and of course yeah a lot of uh, Scandinavian Nordic designers are like uh, Alvar Alto stuff, uh, Eero Arnio and of course all the Danes, uh, Paul Schaerholm, Hans-Jürgen Wegner, Finn Juhl and also some Norwegian uh, designers. I like the work of Hans Brattru, Fredrik Kaiser and yeah the list goes on it just um, and also of course non-scandinavian designers as well like um, australian designer i really admire is mark newson yeah so the list is long and uh, well many of the nordic designers one thing in common is that they get <clears throat> their inspiration from nature do you also have that yes i think i do surround myself um, by nature as much as I can. So, yeah, a lot of my inspiration comes from there and that also maybe makes my design maybe a little bit unique because I draw inspiration from the nature that I'm currently in, which is here in Australia. And I also, of course, have lots of uh, cultural heritage and memories from my um, younger years in Norway in the deep forests so I guess some of my um, inspiration comes from there as well and gets sort of mixed together 
Right. And you also design and make guitars. So tell us about that. Yeah, that was a very uh, sort of spontaneous project. I basically wanted to learn how to play slide guitar. Um, uh, they were a bit hard to find. This was when I lived in Oslo last and、um, decided to make one instead of buying one. Uh, and I had friends who were just started using carbon fiber back then. This was in the early 2000s. And I was very curious about that material. So I decided to try to make this guitar out of carbon fiber. And I did. And it was an interesting experience、uh, that I really enjoyed. And it ended up becoming a full time job for a while making guitars because I had. Uh, ended up having、uh, quite a bit of demand for them. Now, tell us your experience and your connection with Ben Harper. Yeah, he actually was the reason why I wanted to learn how to play slide guitar because I really admired his music and his guitar playing.、Um, and when I, had, when I finished the first guitar that I built, I sent out. Sent an email to his an email address from his website and I got a response back and、uh, I was asked to make him one. So he was actually my first customer. So I ended up making two guitars for him, which was、uh, great. That's a pretty amazing start for your career. <laughs> yes, it was.、Uh, so yeah, that was a huge inspiration that kept me going for a For a couple of years doing that full time. Yeah, right. And it must be very challenging to actually design guitars because this, it's,、um, you know, actually, I, I, I wouldn't even understand how it works, but you know, must be really,、uh, there's so many things that you have to think about, not just the design, the actual guitar, but also, you know, how it sounds and all that. So, how, where did you learn all that? Well, it was sort of my approach was. Uh, a lot of instrument makers、um, are basically trying to recreate、um, old instruments that have shown to work really well,、uh, whether there's violins,、uh, Stradivarius, or、um, old Gibson guitars, or Martin guitars from, from way back、uh, that are, have been sort of golden models and trying to recreate them.、Uh, or... Or there's also a small group of us, I guess, who just want to、um, take things、uh, in new directions and see where we can end up. And that's sort of what I ended up doing.、Um, and then you sort of make something and then it either works or it doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's more like a. You learn as, as you go along, I guess. And、uh, it's, I was fortunate that it ended up working quite well. That's a really amazing, amazing achievement. Now, you mentioned that you、um, get your inspiration also from your youth and being lots in outdoors in Norway. And、uh, you send me these really delightful little stories about your. Journey、um, from a young age, and you've been really a big, you're a big risk taker. You've been a ski jumper, 
you snowboard, you windsurf, uh, you mountain bike. So you are a typical Nordic person that loves outdoors, but also take huge risks when you're outdoors, climbing a mountain and so on. So tell about your, your childhood and your youth. Yeah, it was uh, most of it was spent outside, which is a typical Scandinavian thing, I guess. And so, and and I was quite early on hooked on, uh, I guess you call it action sports. I started ski jumping when I was about six, uh, and I was doing that for um, just over ten years. My early life sort of ended up being semi-professional at the end. And and um, that was most of my childhood and adolescent years was sort of spent doing that. And then on the side, I was also uh, hugely into anything to do with boards, snowboards, skateboards, windsurfing, and later on also surfing. So, yes, it's I've had a very active, active life. Uh, and I still really enjoy getting out on the snowboard or skateboard whenever I can. You went to army for two years, even you didn't really want to do it. So what was that all about? Hmm. Yeah, no, um, I was set on, it was compulsory army training in Norway when um, when I was at that age, but I had actually organized all the paperwork and everything I needed to get out of it because I didn't want to. Uh, but then I think I just read too many Hemingway books that last year of high school and decided <laughs> to to join the army instead. And instead of just doing the normal one-year service, I decided to do officer school. And it just ended up being a bit of a challenge or something I wanted to prove to myself that I could do because... It was quite obvious from very early on that I really did not like it. Uh, it was not for me, but I still uh, finished the two years. Remember the last day, my the head officer, my my main teacher, congratulated me and said I was most likely the first pacifist ever to uh, go through officer school. <laughs> Well, that's amazing achievement, but uh, would have been quite challenging if it's kind of against your values. And but you still, obviously, you're uh, you still wanted to push it through and see that yeah, you know you can do it. Yes, I mean it had. Yeah, I learned a lot, and and I'm I'm really happy that I did it, and uh, so I definitely got something out of it. But um, yeah, it was a was a constant struggle to yeah to follow through and not get kicked out. Yeah, I I think the army is um, well for us Nordics like in Finland is also uh, compulsory. And uh, what what my, what I saw uh, like my my family, my brother, and uh, when you say that when you when a boy goes to army and man comes out, yeah. So there's a there's a huge experience. You just learn a lot about life and yourself and other people and 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 i could see like in my my brother there was a huge change in him when he actually finished his you know a year in the army yeah definitely yeah that was, so most of the people i was in the army with was sort of straight from home it was a bit different for me because i had i moved away from home when i was 15 so i had already been living by myself for for four four years by the time i joined the army 
Hey everyone, just quickly, I want to talk to you about Nordic institution Anorak jackets. Anorak jackets originated in the Nordic region and were used to protect folk from the harsh natural elements. The traditional Anorak jacket is a pullover style jacket with a zip and hood. Australian-based Anoraki company sells Anorak jackets that suit our modern busy lifestyle. They are contemporary Nordic design, 100% high-quality pressed cotton fabric that is strong and durable and ethically made in Finland and Estonia by our collection. Nordic Insight listeners get 10% off and free shipping by quoting Nordic when ordering. Anoraki offers full returns and they are unisex-sized. Visit anorakki.com.au. And now back to the show. And you also, in some states, well, you live now in Australia, but you uh, are very widely traveled. And you, you, in some states, I read that you've been in over 23 countries. Yes, that was after the, the two years in the army. I saved up uh, all the money that I made during those those years in the army and spent that on on traveling around the world for about 13 months uh, straight after and then yeah during those 13 months I think I visited 23 countries and what was that experience for you like that was another eye-opening experience uh, I guess pretty much from beginning to end from when uh, we first landed in in Nairobi, which was the first Kenya was the first stop, and yeah, and all the way through uh, through Central and Southeast Asia after that, and and it was also the first time I visited uh, Australia, um, traveling around Australia for for about a month during that around the world trip. So yeah, definitely learned a lot during those thirteen months, um, and uh, a lot of wonderful experiences and uh, of course I would not choose to travel like that now as an as an adult because it was I think I would have maybe lasted maybe two weeks of that kind of <laughs> always looking uh, remember we were basically using uh, Lonely Planet this was before um, internet and and that kind of ways to get around so we were using Lonely Planet and it was just always about finding the cheapest accommodation and, and heading straight to the yeah the cheapest dorms and stuff and and then um, yeah so it was it was not the kind of travel I would choose to do now but I'm very happy that yes, I did totally it. totally understandable. Now so what then made you to move to Australia um, you said that you you visit here and travel a bit, but then uh, later in life you decided to move to Australia. Yeah, it was not actually not long after uh, I came back to Norway. After that, traveling around the world, I decided what I wanted to do, which was graphic design, and had already sort of found a university in in Australia that would that I wanted to try to get into. And and the Norwegian government was sort of, uh, and I don't know, they might still be encouraging people to travel overseas to study, to broaden the horizons, I guess. And um, it was quite easy for me to get uh, a scholarship uh, and the finances sort of sorted so I could go 
to Newcastle and study. And um, I just thought if I could do that instead of doing it in Norway, it was, it was yeah, that was an easy choice for me. And what did you study? I studied graphic design or uh, visual communication at the University of Newcastle. So that was a bachelor, so I lived in Newcastle for about three years. And then you decided to stay, and now you live in Melbourne and you have a family. No, I actually moved back to Norway after I finished studying and lived in Oslo for six years, and then moved back to Australia um, about 10 years ago. Okay. Well, why did you then decide to stay, you know, park yourself in Australia? Because my, my ex-wife uh, wanted to study Chinese medicine, though, and Australia was what made more sense to, uh, yeah, it was a better place to do that than anywhere in, anywhere in Europe, I think. So that's why we ended up in Melbourne. Yes, and you have a, a great profession, you know, being a designer and maker things that you can really base yourself anywhere in the world. Yes, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, that's quite universal. And I also ended up working for the, uh, for the first six years uh, after moving back to Melbourne. I was actually still working for a Norwegian advertising agency uh, as a graphic designer. Now, one thing you mentioned earlier on when we spoke that two things you are very important in your life, one is design and the other one is family. And now you have uh, family and you are a father of two daughters? Two daughters and uh, one stepson, yes. Do you feel like you are a typical Nordic father? Yes, I think... Um I think I am because I, I probably do spend more time with my children than what maybe the I know it's dangerous to generalize, but probably spend more time with my children than the average Australian father. So, what does it mean for you to be a father? Of course, it's about being a good role model. Do uh, try to behave like I would like my children to behave. Yeah, that's probably the main thing. And how being a father has changed your own values? Yes, I think becoming a parent was, I guess it is for everyone, a big revelation when you sort of get pushed off center from your own universe and you're not in the center anymore. And that is a huge change from being a, a non-parent to being a parent. And uh, that can both be a bit frightening and also be, uh, I just found it a huge relief. It just, it's one of those things that just suddenly give your life meaning and you don't have to ask yourself so many questions anymore. Right. And did you, I mean, do, do you work from home or did you, did you take parental leave? Uh, yes, I did take parental leave. Yes. So, yeah, uh, we have always spent pretty much uh, 50, 50 equal amount of time with, with our children. So this was parental leave in Australia or, or in Norway? Both. Okay. So in Australia, it's yeah. very short uh, compared to Nordic countries, isn't it? Yes, it is. So, but I have sort of never, for the last 14 years, I haven't really had a proper job, so... <laughs> It's, I've, I've been working freelance, so it's been up to me how I've 
how I want to organize my work life. So it's uh, it was possible for me to um, to have time off when both my daughters were born. Nordic countries being the most gender equal in the world, I just read the recently a, a research about parental leaves and just for as a little uh, information bit, uh, Sweden offers the longest paid leave with 69 weeks altogether, followed by Norway, Denmark and Finland with around 50 weeks each and Iceland uh, around 40 weeks and payment levels rate from 70 to 100%. But also for fathers, there are in Denmark, two weeks are reserved, reserved for fathers and 32 weeks can be shared compared to Finland where nine weeks are reserved for fathers and 26 can be shared. And in Sweden, 13 weeks are earned earmarked for fathers and mothers respectively and they have additional 43 weeks to share. And then there are also three-part leave system which uh, some of the weeks are allotted to father and some to mother and then then they are also part of the weeks that a lot to parents, each parents, and to share also in Norway. And it was interesting to read this survey because uh, the Nordic countries are so way behind, uh, ahead with uh, most Western countries. So the importance of, first of all, having the parental leave, but also the, having the, uh, the opportunity for father be looking after the children is very important. Has being a parent and having spending time with your children changed your experience of parenting or relationships and your work? Yes, I think I think it's all about finding a balance between family and and work life. I do think that uh, it's more cu- uh, culturally embedded in in the Nordic countries to to share all that more equally. Uh, and it also, so that just comes more natural. It's not even necessarily a, an active decision that you need to make. That's just how it is, and, and that's how it should be. So it's definitely it's very different from from how it is perceived here in uh, in Australia, where it still seem to be a lot more given that it's it's the mum that stays at home father keeps trucking on with work yes and how do how does your um australian mates what do they think about you if you you are more much more hands-on father than they are i think they uh, it's it it depends i mean in 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 the profession that i work now with uh, i do a lot of carpentry work and and work as a as a tradie and in that sort of profession there's not that many fathers who are that much hands-on, and but but I don't find it's difficult to to make people understand that that's how I prioritize because um, it's I mean it's basically just a matter of of um, explaining your values, and I don't find that difficult at all. It's it, it, because it's something that I, I feel so strongly about that I don't feel embarrassed or find it difficult at all to explain to people that that my main priority is my family and then work will just have to fit in around that. 
So you, for you, shared childcare responsibilities, you know, physical care and emotional care and daily planning, they're kind of inbuilt in in you that you automatically do them and that there's no, it's not big deal at all. No, I th- and I think that is one of those things that I maybe have brought with me from from Norway, that it's that, that's just how it is. It's not... It doesn't need, even need to be discussed. It, it's just equal. Yeah, that's that's right. And I, actually, the same research was quite interesting. Um, it also stated how important it's been shown in many ways that the if the fathers are more hands-on in in childcare, the the children are less likely to experience social and psychological difficulties, and even they perform much better in. In academically and but it doesn't necessarily mean it, it's not necessarily need to be a you know a woman a mother and and a male father but it's just like having two parents who are loving and it's the, it's the same result but uh that that was very interesting outcome uh, of this uh research yes yeah no i totally agree with that and it's sort of also i guess it sort of makes sense it's pretty basic psychology so it there's no magic involved in working that out i think uh, it's more just how society how things have been for for a long time and that there are just such a slow process seems to be for um, a country like australia to change why that is i don't know Australia is quite macho culture. It's quite yeah. traditional male-female way of thinking about things, and uh, for for us, not yes. it's it feels quite, you know, very traditional. And so, do you think? It, can you see ch- any change happening? Do you have friends who actually uh, male friends who are more dedica- dedicated to um, everyday lives of the of their children? Oh yes, definitely. It's it's definitely changing, and and yes, I have friends who are absolutely uh, really good parents. Both, of course, both uh, mums and dads. And and I think there's um, there is change, uh, but it is when when the, the structure of the whole society also needs to change, uh, then it it is a a, a slow process. So how do you perceive other things than being a father and being a parent when you think about your Nordic model and thinking? How do you see that Nordic thinking is different like thinking in Australia or maybe in other countries? Well, I would like to think that the typical Nordic person maybe thinks a bit more and talks a bit less. <laughs> yes, agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, that's probably not right. But I think I just I, I think uh, Nordics are really good at blending in and adopting uh, to their surroundings. It's one of those things I've noticed here in Melbourne. I'm sure there are lots of Norwegians and Scandinavians here, but I don't think in general maybe we find have such a strong need to to hang out together and create little sort of pockets of Nordicness. I think we're happy to to just blend in and, and um, contribute in whatever surroundings we're in. Mm, yeah, and I do agree. 
Now, wh- what is your contribution to your community? What do you feel like you, how do you contribute to your community? I think my main contribution would be to raise my children to be good people and um, try to set a good example for whatever I do, uh, not necessarily the one calling out and and talking so much about things, but just trying to do the right thing through actions and setting an example both for the people around me and but most of all for my children. And do you think your children have Nordic, Nordic or Norwegian characteristics in them? Yes, yes, I think they do. Uh, I, f- I feel like they do. Probably uh, becomes most obvious when we travel back to Norway and they actually, you can tell that they actually feel that connection, that they are, part of them are Norwegian. Yeah, it, it becomes very obvious when they are back in Norway. So they feel very at home. Yeah, yeah. That, that's nice. That's how I feel always that uh, I have two worlds that I live in when I go to Finland. I, that's my, it's my world, but that's not my everyday world. So then being there for a while, then when I come home, this is my everyday life, but I still feel that I'm, that's my world as well. So it's, it's a bit um, interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah positives and negatives yeah of course it's always have friends and and family and memories from norway that uh, makes it a bit difficult sometimes because you miss things and people and moods and and weather and whatever but but then in general it's just uh very rewarding to have and i feel very fortunate to have two two home countries um and i'm I'm very grateful for being able to call both Norway and Australia home yeah totally agree now what what's the one thing you really miss from norway well of course of course family and friends because but but besides that, I think the summer light now also being a photographer i I really appreciate light and that's Something I miss, oh, and the winter light to the cha- the changing of the the lights and the seasons. That's um, something I miss. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, it's quite special. If people would like to uh, learn more about your work, your graphic design, and your beautiful woodwork and your beautiful guitars, um, where can they find more information? I have uh, a couple of Instagram accounts and. Also, my website is jar.com.au, j-a-h-r.com.au. And what are your Instagram accounts? Yeah. One is with mainly my photography work is a pile of trees. And for my the stuff that I make, it's uh, Yard Made, J-A-H-R. Great. Thank you. Yeah. I will I will put the links in, in, in the show uh, notes so uh, when people can... Go on, check your beautiful work. Well, Hans Jürgen, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you very much. And uh, I invite everybody to go to your website to see your beautiful photography and beautiful uh, woodwork that you have created. So thank you very much. It's been lovely to have you as my guest. Thank you very much, Satu. Thank you for having me on the show.
Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I would appreciate if you would leave a quick rating and review. You can also find Nordic Insights on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. Voi hyvin, hade sopra, take care.